Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by David Walker of the Daily Mirror and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Derby matches are great for neutrals. Bit of spite, a lot of niggle, some good old thud and blunder. It's different for the fans, of course. They know their history and bragging rights are on the line. It all begs the question, who has most to lose in the North London Derby? you think, David? (laughs) Well, I've got to say, after an international break, I think we're all really looking forward to a Premier League return. And what a game to have as the sort of first game up on the Saturday. You've got a North London derby. I think the biggest to lose will be Arsenal because it'll just pile more pressure on the whole, the Wenger debate and what's going wrong and what their realistic ambitions are. But I also flip it the other way. You're reaching the point now where Pochettino's Tottenham have to deliver. If they are really going to make the step up from being qualifiers for the Champions League, seen as a breakthrough, what they've done, etc., they need to be winning these North London derbies and winning it in a sense of comfortably. And I think that then takes them into a a different dimension. So so it's pretty obvious this is the most important North London derby for quite some time. It feels very important, doesn't it? I think for Arsene Wenger, he needs to get his team selection right. Uh, The microscope has been on in this season. No more backfires with Coquelin. Well, you say... No, I mean, that was a huge left-field selection, clearly. Um, I would have gone with a back four instead of shoehorn in a a central midfielder in there. But having watched that game a couple of times for my sins, Coquelin was arguably Arsenal's best-performing defender on the day. It was the guys around him that really let the side down with their positioning and their decision-making. But that's, that's by the by. Um, I think up top is, a, is an interesting selection. Personally, I think he has to go with Lacazette, Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. I don't think there's any point holding back. That golden triangle needs to, needs to be unleashed against Spurs. And I think that, I'm not saying it will frighten Spurs. Spurs are in great form, but it will certainly make them think about things a little bit and get their their back three on their toes. As for Spurs, I mean, Pochettino, you're bang on here, David. Pochettino, for all all his excellence, and he is excellent, he's improved Spurs massively. One win away from home against the big six. Six draws, nine defeats. It is high time he delivered a victory in one of these big away games. Mm. But the most immediate pressure will be on Arsene Wenger because we all know that so proper that usually plays out yeah, and, and he's part of, let's be honest, yeah. you know, there have been opportunities when he could have gone, left you with the trophy boys, I'm off, and chose not to. So he's aware of that pressure building again, as everybody in the hierarchy at the club is. I agree with Aidan. The one thing I, and we don't know the answer to this, but it's an observation. 
I am baffled by Arsenal's reluctance yeah. to play those three. Yeah. You know, that they're there and there's been games when you think, go on, get them out there and take them apart. He doesn't trust them, the three of them without them. But Lacazette works very hard. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's... You can't question that. Alexis runs around a bit, but has he got that defensive awareness when yeah. out of possession? And is he interested two? anymore? Well, that is, that is the question. Um, I, th I think he is, but I think an edge is gone from his game. And, and for that reason, and I've said this before... If Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil are underperforming and they're not playing to, to their potential, then Arsenal has to leave them out. I think he has to make a statement and say, hang on, I'm bringing someone else in because I trust them more than you at the moment. And that might perk them up. I and mean, we've yeah. seen Mesut Ozil um, look very sharp in some games. At Goodison Park, for example, Ozil was on fire. Alexis Sanchez was on fire. And I think that was because they'd, they had a bit of stick in the press beforehand. I think they wanted to show people that they do care. Yeah. Um, but look, there's a difference between caring and being able to influence these big games. And I think for the three of them, Lacazette, Alexis Sanchez and Ozil, this is a really good opportunity for them to remind people what good players they are. Mm. Because everyone's bigging up Spurs, quite rightly so. They've been superb. Um, but you can't. no one can convince yeah. me that Arsenal are not capable of winning this match. But, but I've, I've got to say, that is, a, that is a damning observation you make when you're thinking which Ozil or which Sanchez oh. will turn up. Because mm. you think of going into a North London derby and that is a massive sort of question mark over two potential match winners you've got. Well, they haven't got. delivered. Yeah. Away from home, they haven't no. delivered. Mesut no. Ozil has not really impacted on any big away games. On home turf, it's different. He's been outstanding in some of these big games. But that begs the question, Adrian, why keep them? Sell them in January. Yeah. That would tie in with a bigger picture, which is Arsenal now are beginning very slowly to restructure their recruitment. Looks like Steve Rowley, who's been there for 35 years, is going to leave as chief scout. Dick Law, who does a lot of the transfer negotiations, he's probably going to be marginalised. So they're making moves. Why don't they make the biggest move of all and say goodbye? Well, they might do. I think they've gone on record as saying that, that it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they will sell Mesitors and Alexis Sanchez because, because of the contract situation. It's a lot of money riding on the fact that uh, letting them run their contracts down. So if they're not if they're not impacting the team in a positive way, I think there's a very real chance that Arsene Wenger will sell them before the end of the season. And, and I like the players that Arsene are being linked with at the moment. I've got to say Fekir, the player at Lyon, wonderful player. He nearly caused a riot in the oh, derby, didn't he? He did. He's a, yeah, he's a character. Um, but I like that. I like that. He's got a bit, like, a bit of spunk about him. But he's got ability and he looks an Arsenal player. Gorgeous left foot. For, for me, I think he would be brilliant in, in a Wenger team. And, and I even like the link with Wilfred Zaha. I don't know whether there's much, uh, any truth in it, but he is in, he's a player that's improved massively. And I think Zaha in an Arsenal shirt could really kick on. Um, so look, I think these are interesting times for the Gunners. And I, I do think changes are afoot. Mm. Do you think Zaha has finally, sort of the pennies dropped with him in terms of, he, he, he comes from a distinctive background. It's more of a, cage football type mm. background, mm. you know, the, the urban sort of, almost like urban basketball mm. stuff, you know, three on three or yeah. whatever it mm. is. He's now 24-25. That move to Man United probably came too early. Is he now at the stage of his life where he's just about ready to fulfil himself, do you think? Yeah, well, I, uh, yes, but I think part of his problem was this. Sir Alex Ferguson, as we know the story, it was his son Darren who gave the big recommendation having... Uh, seen his team taken apart by uh, Wilfred Saar. Manchester United buy him. And actually, if Alex Ferguson had stayed longer, not retired, I think that may well have been a positive in the development of Wilfred Zaha. But in that whole sort of 
Where does it leave us? What is David Moyes going to do? Who's going to be brought in? And the whole movement around the, the state of flux mm. really didn't do him any favours. Because I hear that, you know, he was on his own. He was in digs in Stockport, didn't know anyone, was completely isolated. Absolutely. And he was playing for a manager who didn't sign him. And he's filled out as well. I think so, so, so mentally he's in a better place now. He's probably feeling more confident himself. We all do, don't we? We get a little bit old, a bit more sure of ourselves. And I think you can see that in his football. What I also see is a physical improvement. His acceleration is obscene. It really is. And, and it's, he is capable of, of bursting past anybody. The question mark has always been the end product. Has he, has he got that final shot, that final pass? And I feel it's coming with Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. And if Arsenal do manage to get him, and I know this may be... Spurs a, are really interested Yeah, exactly. As well, I think they? a number of teams will, will be after him. I think he will be a success wherever he goes next. You know, you know the other thing about Wilfred Zaha and the incredible things he can do and just judging the right moments and he's bedding in at Man United and the actual way it could have been developed. When Cristiano Ronaldo first arrived, so as a young player, in that first season they did an analysis that showed when he got the ball, his average number of touches was six touches on the ball when he got it. Within two years, the average was down to two because he was used to playing one and two touch. So you'd think he might go on a Maisie, but a lot of the other time mm. he was giving and going and playing with people like Skulls, etc., who could play that way. Now, my point is Zaha never got long enough and bedded in enough to get that sort of granning. And I honestly believe the change of manager didn't help him. Mm. What about another underfulfilled player, Jack Wilshire? Yeah. Where do you see his future? Where do I see his future? Well, it's an interesting question. Where does he see his future? I think that, that is the big question between now and January, is he going to push for a move? Um, if I was Arsene Wenger, I'd be giving him game time right now. I would. I've, I've seen lots and lots of positive signs from him in the Europa League, in the Carabao Cup. I think he's shown enough to be given a, a chance. And I've said this before, if Jack Wilshere is fit, he, he, he gets into that England squad probably into the team. Now, the, the performance of Ruben Loftus-Cheek has probably set mm. him back a little bit in terms of Gareth Southgate's thinking, but... I think Southgate has to pick him if, if he's getting football because he, he's a player of some ability. Um, but what he needs, Jack Wilshere, probably is for Arsene Wenger to go to a midfield three. Mm. Will he do that? Will he go with Xhaka, Ramsey and Wilshere? Hasn't done it for ages. Um, he needs him to, I think. Because I can't see him dropping Aaron Ramsey. No. He might need an injury to Aaron Ramsey or Xhaka for him to get that chance. And then it's down to Jack. Mm. Um, but you know, Sammy, you just used the phrase... If he's fit. Mm. And I was astonished to see mm. a season-by-season season list mm. of Jack Wilshere's career. Mm. And only one season, mm. as he appeared, it was 73% of games. Everything else is around half or less than half. And that's that's not just the last two or three years. No. That's over the broad ten that's years, eight, nine years. That's why he's such a hard of, player yeah. to judge. Correct. Because, mm. and I know this having played, I, I needed five, six games before I started to feel anywhere near properly match fit and sharp. He never gets it. Mm. He's in and out. He's in and, and he's out. always judged on his first game back, he isn't is. he? Uh, we all are. All, all players are. So I think that a lot... I see so much more in Jack Wilshere than we have seen. Mm. And I think Arsenal, most Arsenal fans feel the same way. But are we going to have the opportunity to see it? I desperately hope so. But, but time is running out for Jack Wilshere. He needs to force his way into Arsenal's team in the coming weeks. The Otherwise, other, it could be over. And the other thing is, Mike, if you were another club looking at that, you would look at his injury record, particularly over the last three years or so. I'm going, mm. hang on, I appreciate why we want to do it and what's in the raw material, uh, but it, there it, is he, an issue there. He might simply not be suited to the physicality of the Premier League 
And maybe it's the easy option or the better option to actually go somewhere like Europe. Yeah, could be. Could yeah. be. He, draw, he just naturally draws fouls. He, he, he won't change. You, you take that away from him. He likes to leave it to the last minute. He's a very balanced player. He likes nicking it past defenders. And, and he just keeps getting clattered. Mm. And obviously, he's, he's had some muscle injuries as well. So, yeah, look, uh, we just got to hope. Because he, for me, he's still the best central midfielder that England have got. Mm. The Spurs right to let's be charitable and say, uh, be very cautious with Kane and Ali and Winks. In other words, not let them go to England. Well, we, now they're injured, Mike. They are. <laughs> yeah, right. That's not, I did think when you when we started off at the beginning of this show, you mentioned the North London Derby. I thought, can you imagine some of the guys who went, and a lot of clubs have had players, you know, thousands of miles trekking around. Did they with report it? for yeah. duty at St George's Park? Do we know that? Well, they said I don't no, I think they were, they were seen by the Spurs. So my point being... By the way, Giroud's uh, done his thigh as well, yeah, playing for, for yeah. France. Well, that's a, I think it must be a lovely little break they've had and I would be astonished if they're not all available for selection at the weekend. And it's got to be said, Pochettino had lunch with Alex Ferguson not too long ago in <laughs> London. I thought, this is like an old Fergie trick about gigs and co... You don't really need to go and play in friendlies, do you? But you'll be ready for the next big game and let's see what happens at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, they all do it, don't they? Let's be honest. Manchester City yeah. at Leicester. Yeah. I've got a feeling about this game. Have <laughs> now? Yeah. <laughs> Vardy getting in behind that defence. Is this the game that maybe City might be vulnerable? It could be. I mean, if you look at it from a tactical perspective, you, you bang on. I, I'm still not convinced about Otamendi and Stones. I, I think that City's amazing form and record defensively this year is, is primarily down to the fact they've got the ball most of the time and they're easing the pressure on their defenders. And Fernandinho has been out He's of been this super. world. He has been mega uh, this season. I still think if you can get at Otamendi... You get ant stones that their decision making is questionable. He does dive in, Otamendi. Um, we'd just be interested to see whether City have learned the lessons because they were they were poor, weren't they, in this mm. fixture last year? Quite abject. Guardiola got it wrong. Has he learned his lessons? I mean, you would imagine he has. Um, mm. I'd make City huge favourites, but 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 Vardy, I think that there is a school of thought, and I, I would subscribe to it that Vardy can trouble City. Mm. He looks he looks on it at it. Oh, absolutely. It? And I think the other thing is, Mike. Leicester and their support will accept that they are a counter-attacking team. So they will sit in and just wait and then wait for the moment to strike and it will be, you know, and the quality they've got in two or three places in attack, they could do damage to. I, I, I genuinely think, I mean, I, I'm not demeaning Kevin De Bruyne saying this, I think Kevin De Bruyne's been brilliant, but I think the level that David Silva plays at alongside him and the job mm. Fernandinho's done, it's that unit together <clears throat> yeah. has been the key, in my opinion, I, for, to where they've been this season. For Leicester to, to stand any chance, we know that their back four can absorb pressure. They've done it in the title winning season. A lot of the mm. guys are the same, apart from Harry Maguire. It's the midfield two. It's Ndidi and Ibora. Have they got what it takes yeah. to hold off a world-class team? For me, Man City are the best team in the world at the moment. They are, on current form. So it's going to take a superhuman effort to contain them. But but Leicester have um, upset the odds before, haven't they? Mm, interesting. Eden Hazard uh, was talking during the international break of Kevin De Bruyne mm. being the best player in the Premier League at the moment. Mm. Do you agree with that? I think he probably is on current performances. As I said to you, I think... Take the point about Silver. Yeah, he, I've got to say, if it? you ask me and over a period of time... 
who has been the one player I look at and just think, gosh, the level he plays at every week. Yeah. So he's one of these, sometimes he's the sort of nine, nine out of ten star of the game, but yeah. he never drops below seven and eight, does he? He just mm. keeps delivering. And his ability to have that ball and open up little channels for people, yeah. I think he's like a little wizard on the field, honestly. Now, De Bruyne is probably playing better than him, which tells you how good Kevin yeah. De Bruyne is. But I think in, in the long run, Manchester City fans will look back on what David De Silva's done there and think, do you know what? Colin Bell got the hero grams at an ear and he's hailed as probably the greatest player. I think David De Silva, along with Sergio Aguero, will go down in history oh, as their star yeah, man. Legends, yeah. yeah. I think De Bruyne and Kane are sharing top spot in the Premier League. Those are the two best players in the Premier League. Um, I would put Fernandinho right very close to it in terms of what he does, he does in yeah. his role. Um, but yeah, De Bruyne is just... Just a joy to watch. I mean, he's just, he's yeah. just poetry, emotion at the moment. And what I like about him, he's got that artistry, the weight of pass, but he's also got the power. He's a very mm. strong runner with the, with the ball. All he needs to win Football of the Year, he just needs to score more goals. If he, mm. if he gets into 10, 15 goal mark, he could pick Kane to the top spot. Mm. Yeah. So we'll park that and park the whole thing about David Silva. What I want to talk about is Hazard. He's been very vulnerable, voluble when he's been away as they tend to when they go back to their, yeah. their own home countries. <laughs> He's now come out and said that he would love to play for Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. Now, is that the best come and get me plea that we've heard this year? <laughs> well, it, it could be the worst, because yeah, how long is Zidane going to be there? <laughs> well, it depends where he's at next. It could be a terrible <laughs> shout. I mean, he's manager of the year, isn't he? The, supposedly the world's best manager, but he's under pressure. I'd, I think it's a very real... I think they'll see the season now, but I, I think he'll go at the end of the season. So, so look, he might, might need to move in January to play for Zidane. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not very transparent, really. Uh, I mean, well, he, he's just... He's out there, isn't he? I guess um, Eden Hazard on, on that. Um, he just needs to improve his form, doesn't he? He needs to be a bit more consistent. Brilliant player. I, I'm liking the, the look of that link up with Morata. Mm. Um, probably at the expense of Willian's not really in the team. Pedro, yeah. he seems to be going with Hazard and Morata. And I think they, they can be absolutely deadly. Um, but Hazard has been inconsistent. He's, he's not been at the same level this year. But they read that at Chelsea and they're thinking, here we go. Well, it made me smile, Mark, because I don't know if you remember this, but there was a point where a lot of the Premier League clubs ganged up and got messages in, particularly to England, mm. can you keep the players when they're on international duty only talking about England mm. or they international do, football yeah. because it was getting out of hand with players being asked about their futures. So it became the decree, you can't ask him about Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, oh, yeah. just talk about England. Until I recall... A particular England manager was under intense pressure and it was Steven Gerrard who was in and it was all about, well, what was he going to do? And the FA gave the message, yeah, you can talk about Liverpool because it was getting the, off the manager's back. Yeah. So I'm sure the word may go to well, the uh, Belgium FA next time. Yeah. Can we just talk about prospects at the World Fresh, Cup and go to Russia? The yeah. press office police will yeah. be working overtime. Exactly, so thought police. <laughs> what, what about Chelsea? Yeah, it's a, it's a we all know an innately political club. You've got Michael Emilalo, who's always been that that person lurking in the shadows. You're not not quite sure how much influence he's got. Seems quite a bit. He's leaving. That club's in a state of flux, isn't it? Yes, and you, there are days when you look at it and you think, what is going on there, and where is the control of the sort of hand on the tiller? And then it all seems yeah. to calm down again and they get on the straight. Yeah, it's like, so what? Yeah. The, the, the team normally does... The, they normally deliver for them. I've got to say this, though. I, I saw the Emanello farewell interview, the Chelsea TV one, 
And he said something in there that I was, you know, you literally hit, hit me between us. He said, and I'm proud, he was saying, proud of the things he's done, including building the finest academy mm. in the Premier League, bar none, was the actual statement. And I thought, well, hang on. How are we judging this academy? Is mm. it judged by how many players you've sent out on loan and who aren't playing for Chelsea? Or are we judging it by how many players you've got in the first team at Chelsea, which would be always, you know, my judgment of mm. that's an efficient academy. So if it's, oh, well, they sold this lot and we've made £30 million or we made £40 million. I think they sold like 70. Well, my next question is then, how much are you paying for your new striker? So you've done all that work to sell a load of academy kids to buy one player for your team. <laughs> so it, yeah. see, for me, yeah. the judgment, and I understand where he's coming from, but they say, Michael, I'll buy into that when there's four, five, home, like the class of 92 type thing, like yeah. a Jack Wilshire coming through where you think this is the real deal. I'll buy into it. But I just think there's an awful lot of smoke and mirrors goes on yeah. there mm. without delivery. Who knows? Look, at first glance, you think, oh, this is a win for Antonio Conte. You think, oh, you know, he's got this, this high, powerful figure that's on, on the way out. But I can't see them not replacing. You know the, the one name that's in my head? To fill that void, he's up on Humberside at the moment, not doing very yeah, well. Slutsky. Yeah, Leonard yeah. Slutsky, mates with Abramovich. I think it's just the kind of role. I could just but you can't take that role if you've won, was it five games or four it's games in 15? It's a football manager role, is it? It's, it's, a, it's a football knowledge role. And Abramovich is a massive fan of Leonard Slutsky, who isn't doing very well in the Championship, who needs to get out. Um, so you talk about come and get me, please. I'm just waiting for that one from Leonard. <laughs> yeah, come and get me, please. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Chelsea? They're at West Brom. Mm. Would a big defeat for West Brom do for Tony Pulis? Well, it's it's a that is an interesting club in the sense of how volatile the support is now, particularly on Chinese Ch owners are coming in, which Correct. is never a good look, is it? Change the manager. Tony Pulis was given an extended contract last summer. You're going well. Hang on. They've not been happy with the way the team has played. On the other hand, in the pro Pulis camp, you have got that, you know, the old statistic, he's never been relegated. So, you know, realistically, what you're looking at, I would guess at the start of the season, say, make sure we stay up. But I do believe, and you can reach the point through different measures, where they, the, the fans can create a climate where it's untenable for the manager to stay. What's it like playing yeah. for a team yeah. where the fans are kicking Oh, up? horrible. Yeah, yeah, it has happened to me. Um, not nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah, a couple of loan spells I was, I was where, where it wasn't good at all, even South End at one point. Um, yeah, it, it's distracting. Um, it, it does dent your confidence. You have to be really strong mentally to block it, block out mm. the moans and groans. And it, it does heap more pressure on you and it will tighten you up. And also the... The manager will change himself. You, you can tell when a manager is under pressure, when they're feeling under pressure, and that can obviously transmit transmit to the team. So it's definitely not helpful. Um, I think the empty seats at the Hawthorns is what mm. stands out for me. I mean, you've got some massive games, big teams going to the Hawthorns, and you see so much swathes of empty seats. So the fans are sort of voting with their, you know, with their admission fee really at, at the minute. So um, I could I could see a change, but look, I've been really anti Pulis in the past. But I just think they might as well stick with him until the end of the season, maybe, because I think he will keep them up, albeit mm. quite uglily. Um, but and then maybe have a change. But they they've got to decide the owners. What do they want? Do they want Premier League survival every year, or or do they want more exciting football? But they want more entertainment. I I honestly think knowing Tony Pulis and the way he can affect his team, the whale batten down the hatches. The whale prepare for a game. 
even at the Hawthorns now, where he knows I need a couple of wins and the ability to sort out set piece goals for them. It out. I tell you something, Mike. That's a good challenge for Chelsea about the, which Chelsea's going to turn up this weekend. Mm. And if Pulis has got his lot sorted out, and if they want to do it, they could go on. Do you think there. Conte will bring back Louise, having made his point? No, they won, didn't they? Won now. No, I would. I'd leave him out again. I don't know. I don't. It depends. It depends what's happened behind the scenes. If David Luiz confronted him in front of the other players, and tried to undermine him or question him, I'd, I'd keep him binned um, because you've got to be strong as a manager and you've got to show who's boss, haven't you? If, if it's something different, then then maybe you've, you've just got to ease him back in. But why would you change that team? They, they played against Man United. I thought they played really well. What do you think, David? You, well, I'm, I'm always... Disagree? No, 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 no. It's made me smile because I always remember George Graham used to tell this story when he went to Leeds that they'd signed a boy called Robert Molinar, a big Dutch centre-back, and Robert was there and George used to put his team up on a flip-flip chart thing yeah. and he did his thing and he's got it there and there's Molinar in the team to make his debut. And George is going through, he's got the, all the squad in the room, and George is going through and so this is where we're going to play. Nigel Martin in goal, and he's got his back four. And he says, so, Robert, I want you to play on the right-hand side of this back four. And he's carrying, he goes, boss, boss. No, no, I am better at middle of a back three. So he said, we play a back three. I am the spare man. I bring the ball out. You think the scout might have <laughs> Yeah, that, no, no. But George goes, no, no, Robert, this is the team we're playing. It's a back four. We play a back four. I want you to play the right side. You'll be, no, no, boss, you don't understand. I play it. And then the end, goes, Robert, do you want to play this afternoon? Because this is the team, and he moved on. The point being, you do reach a point where a manager has to make a decision and a player has to respect that. And this thing of a, a David Luiz, let's have a debate, or I'm not happy about it, I'm with Conte on this, and that those players can get Conte the sack, yeah. or the response he got from the ones he put on the pitch yeah. made sure it was a triumphant day for Antonio Conte. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be amazed if David Luiz plays in the next game. Another place where it would be an interesting to be a fly on the wall would be the Liverpool dressing room area. Mm -hmm. Southampton are turning up at Anfield. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, Virgil, Virgil van Dijk yeah. is, is being yeah. right out there. Yes, I'm, I'm happy at Southampton. <laughs> I'm, I'm satisfied yeah. with my lot. Really? <laughs> well, for now, yeah. He's just playing the long game, I suppose, isn't he? He knows he's not going to go anywhere for the rest of the season. I'll tell you what, though. Um, Virgil van Dijk needs to string some good performances together. To, to make potential suitors want to pay the kind of money that they were prepared to pay. Of course, all these bids came on the back of quite a long absence from, from Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. People were going on memory, weren't they? Um, and I, I don't think he's hit the same no. levels, do you? No. Um, and, the, and the other thing you know, that's happened to him, and this is, he's had a real impact in Holland, is that Dick Advocar said to him in the summer, packing all the politics, I need you playing for our national team because the games they had, they could still have qualified. Now, we could argue, is this the worst Dutch team you've seen in <laughs> decades? But at the point they were in, they needed a strong defender and who, how he was perceived. And all the debate and being left out and not trying, I want to go to Liverpool, they ended up basically without him blowing the World Cup chance and it's mm. all gone and he's now playing meaningless friendlies for them yeah. and, they're, and they're out of that as well. well so he, he's not been the smartest cookie in all this. Well, what about Chelsea? If they're, if they're in the market for replacing a frizzy-haired centre-back that <laughs> likes to play in the middle of a three, then they could do worse than yeah. they like, couldn't they? So, look, I just, I just think fair play to Southampton. Uh, I didn't think they were capable of pulling it off. I, I spoke to Les Reid about it yeah. and, and he basically said, look, we knew that every player in the dressing room, every agent, 
every manager in the Premier League were looking at the situation. Yeah. They couldn't be seen being steamrolled. I, I admire what they did, really. I, I didn't think it would be possible to, to, to keep hold of him because he was clearly so, so unhappy and so set on the move. It's, I admired it. Yeah, I, admired I, I really it. admire it. And, well, Liverpool and, learned from it with Coutinho. Yeah. You got Barcelona knocking yeah. and they've gone, oh, we'll do the same it's thing true. and say no. It is true. Um, but, look, yeah, so I just, I don't know if I can see Van Dijk at Liverpool now. That maybe that, that the bridge has been burnt there between the two clubs. Um, if he does move on, I, I could actually see him at Chelsea. Yeah. We talked about the potential implications of international breaks. Sadio Mane is flying back from Senegal, mm. having felt a twinge from his old injury. That's not going to go down well, is it? No, not at all. And that's what we're saying about when you've got your Tottenham three having an easy fortnight and those boys who are making... And it is... There is a danger of injury, obviously, Mike. But you see some of the boys who have been in South America, some have been in the Far East, whatever. The actual fatigue factor of the travelling they've done, and this was why FIFA went, oh, let's have a designated international period. So they... These guys aren't going to get over that. And I will be amazed if you see some of the guys who've done the long-haul flights at the top of their form when they get back at the weekend. I think it's a huge challenge for them. BT Sport game on Saturday, Manchester United against Newcastle. Mm. Interesting, Newcastle linked today with potentially Fernando Torres. Yeah. Do you think that work? Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, Rafa, reunited uh, with with Torres. Um, I think... They need a striker badly. I mean, Jocelyn, bless him. I mean, he does half of what every good centre forward should do in terms of he throws his weight around, he can hold the ball up, he can cause a bit of chaos. But he can't do the bit that you need him to do, and, that, and that's finished clinically. You've got Dwight Gale, who is a, is a really lively front man, but still massive question marks about his ability at the highest level. So, yeah, they're desperate for a striker, and Torres needs games, Spanish boss to work with. The St James's Park faithful, I'm sure, would would really get behind Fernando Torres. The question, Mark, I would have is: Is, is he still got it? Has mm. he, he still got the ability? Has he still got that pace? Not as much, clearly, as as he had. Um, but yeah, he, it, it's a bit strange at Atletico. I'm surprised he hasn't had more game time because the players that are in situ not been playing very well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it, either he's gone as a player or something's happened behind the scenes. Newcastle, it could, it could go one of both ways. They could they could sign a high-profile dud or they could sign a player that, that changes the course of their season. Mm. Jose Mourinho tells us he needs more toys, stroke players. Um, really? Why? Because I don't think he's going to win the league with what he's got and I don't think he'll win the Champions League. And let's be honest, Jose Mourinho is a serial winner. That's what he's in the game for, even if even if it's not as fulfilling and as exciting as what you know his rival across Manchester is delivering with Manchester City. Mourinho actually gets his teams to win things and I think he can see one or two areas where they are short of players. So he's trying he's to... He's not going to give up, up on it, is he, at Manchester United? I mean, surely yeah. he's going to have a bit of fight. He's not going to give up after... He's whinging about Perisic, isn't he? He wanted him mm. just yeah, to I mean, supply the crosses. I, I don't think Perisic would have made that much difference. So that, yeah, I just don't think they're going to win enough games, Manchester United, um, compared to Manchester City. They're way behind them. I think, actually, they're the one team that could maybe take points off City. Tactically, they could probably stifle them, but over the course of the season, City are going to walk it, I would imagine. Yeah, and is Mourinho giving up the ghost? Is he thinking, oh, you know what, it's not going to happen, let's go to PSG where I'll just win everything? Yeah. Um, or is he angling for 
a better contract and more funds to, to reinforce. The thing is, no matter what he says, he is spending the same amount in wages as City. He is has been given the same amount of budget as City. He's just not playing the kind of football that City uh, are producing. And I don't think he would ever... I don't well, he won't ever play it. that kind of football. I, I, my view, Mike, is... He, he does a three-year cycle at places and it all starts falling apart next year. Is he alienating people? Because it, it, you know, it's very obvious, well, the courtship with, with PSG. Now, OK, everyone's getting linked with PSG. Yeah. Conte's Do been linked. Do they want him? That is the question. I, I think there's a big question mark over whether they want him. I mean, they're playing a lovely brand of football at the moment. OK, they, they haven't won the Champions League. Let's see what happens on that score. I, I, I think PSG, let's face it, can have anyone they want. Um... Now sure. there's a question. I'm not sure would he, he would. He, would he be would, numero uno for them? Would they get Would they get Guardiola to with go? The, with the baggage that Jose brings and the noise, the associated noise, is that, is that really what the Qataris want? Yeah, but the, when we're going back to United, there is going to be a movement. You know, you're looking at probably Luke Shaw leaving either on mm. loan. A lot of clubs want him. Mm. Um, the Gareth Bale word doesn't doesn't go away. No, and, and but he's missed. 40 out of the last 60 games. Well, there's another, that, that's why Real Madrid... I think, I think the part in the ways for Gareth Bale is imminent. I think they will trade him because of where they are and what they look for, and they'll look for the next world's biggest star. And the fact that Zidane has been watching Leon recently and we were talking about him in Arsenal. Oh, no, I, think Real Madrid, I think Real Madrid will go on still, just like Real Madrid and Barcelona have done on... On Arsenal in the past with people that Arsenal's been looking at. Oh, you've ruined my day there, David. (laughs) We'll see what happens. I pictured him in the shirt. Yeah, well, (laughs) but you're going back to this this whole Manchester United thing. Luke Luke Shaw isn't a contender in in Jose Mourinho's world. You know what I mean? He talks about him ever so often because we, the media, bring him up and is the lad going to get a chance? If you look at the actual squad and makeup, there's a team and there's two or three others that he rotates around. Personally... I don't think the Mourinho thing is going to work at Manchester United long term. We'll see what happens this season. I would not be amazed if there is a change within the next 18 months. Not by the club doing it, but when it becomes Jose going, do you know what? I'm better moving on. Yeah. What about one of his predecessors at United, David Moyes? He's yeah. uh, making his debut as West Ham manager, uh, brought in you know, quite a high-powered backroom yeah, staff there. Yeah. It's going to be his 500th Premier League game uh, at Watford on yeah. Sunday. Got a chance or has that club got too many structural problems? Um, well, it has got structural problems. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's in charge of buying the players? It's one one point I'd make. Um, there's a lot wrong there. I think the the culture in within on the training ground wasn't quite right. I think Slavin Bilic lost his mojo and I think he didn't work them hard enough. I think he was too nice to them. They just were unfit at the end of it and they just a little bit lethargic and a little bit like him with his demeanour. Moyes, to his credit, has gone in there and he's looked bright and he's tried his hardest to come across as enthusiastic and, and as if he's reinvented himself. Personally, I don't want to rain on his parade before he's had a game. I just don't know. I don't know if he's got it in him to, to, to be a huge success um, because, because of the recent failures. I think his confidence has been knocked. But they should survive. I mean, West Ham should be nowhere near the relegation zone. They should be... 11th, 12th at worst, West Ham. So so I think Moyes will, will get them out of danger, no problem. But is he the right man long term? I don't think so. Well, and they're not exactly welcoming him with open arms, are they? You know, they're, no. they're saying it's a gamble, we're going to give you six or seven months. Yeah. Well, I know yeah. that's modern football, but 
Were you if you're going to get someone took, in. Were you surprised he took it? No, no, months? no. I think, I, no, no, because I think just personally. Just get back in. Well, I don't think it's a definite. Well, they all are, aren't they? Yeah, but I think the biggest single fact is when you lost the Manchester United job, as he did, and obviously was devastated by the politics around that, then he's, I thought it was a smart move going to Spain in the sense of rebuilding himself, different culture. He gets 364 days there and he's out again. And let's be honest, we know there are massive things with Sunderland in terms of the owner wants to sell, where you're going to go. And he did resign before he got pushed, but those three jobs and what's happened to him severely then. So for him, in my opinion, to land the West Ham job, oh, lucky. I think he's a lucky guy in the yeah. sense of he was manager of the year three times in his time at Everton. But if you actually look at managers' careers, and there are only two or three that beat this, most of them have a... The real top-line ones, you're looking at a decade to 12 years when they are at their peak punching power at a club. And then after that, there is this gradual decline. David Moyes, 11 years at Everton, you can't underestimate what it, with what he had, you know, the club, well, the challenges they were facing, the lack of revenue, the sort of players they had to bring in. He was a brilliant manager at that club at that time. But what we've seen since, I think he's yeah. lucky to get West Ham. It, yeah, every dog has his day. Like, I think his day's gone. I think West Ham need a younger guy. And I think uh, fresh ideas. What about his former club, Everton? Oh, what are they playing at? Well, exactly. <laughs> it looks like David Unsworth was one comeback. Well, he's one comeback away from this. Yeah. And they get, looks like they're going to maybe trust him for the rest of the season. Yeah. There's a little bit of a whisper going around about Marco Silva and yeah, some yeah. stuff not quite being right at Watford. Yeah. They need to do something fast. They've got Palace at the weekend. Yeah. If they lose to Palace, they're banging it. Yeah, I, yeah, they are banging it. I mean, I wouldn't read too much into that Unsworth comeback last time out. I mean, Watford lost... Dangerous, their isn't it? They lost their, lost their keeper, didn't they? And the keeper mm -hmm. come on, sub-goaling, had, had a stinker. Um, and don't, don't forget, Evan also gave away a penalty that would, would have um, gifted a point back to Watford. Um, no, I think it would be madness, to be perfectly honest, to give it to Unsworth to the end of the season based on the four games we've seen. I, don't, I think he's been muddled thinking with his team selection. He's gone bold, two wingers, pace. That's what we're going to do. And at half-time, when things weren't going so well, takes him off and starts again. And then the next game, he plays two number 10s in the wide areas. So very jumbled thinking. Um, he's trying to be decisive. I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to make the big decisions. But I can't help but feel he's a bit out of his depth. Mm. Why haven't they gone for Moyes? What are Everton waiting for? Uh, not Moyes, uh, uh, Dyche. Yeah. What, what are Everton waiting for? They should be going for Sean and Dyche. Well, let's talk of a, a buyout clause of three and a it's half nothing. million. Well, that's, you, you pay that for some sort of 18-year-old yeah. kid from the lower leagues. Do you know, Mike, the thing that astonishes me in this, there is clearly or there clearly are issues in the sense of, I don't mean it faction fighting, but it's like now, who is running Everton and mm. making the big call? Mm. But the fact is, they sacked Ronald Koeman three weeks ago. Yeah. If you're going to sack Ronald Koeman, who, let's be honest, has had three good years in English mm. football, two at Southampton, one at Everton, and a bad 10 weeks at Everton. But if you're going to make the call, this is going wrong, we've got to do it. Surely you have a plan in mind and you're going to go for it. Now, I know <laughs> that there have been checks made about different managers and what's he like and is he good to work with? And you end up with this thing about, are you going to run with David Unsworth? Which I think certain people in the boardroom want to do. There are others asking the question, shouldn't we get Big Sam in and Sam Allardyce turns up to keep them up a bit like the, he can guarantee we're safe? 
but Sam would ask for two and a half years, not a six or eight months of a contract. And then you're going, but you sacked Ronald Koeman three weeks ago. You've got a very wealthy owner. Surely you had a plan. And not just, do you know what? Monsieur would love Ancelotti to be yeah. there. He'd love Simeone. Well, let's get real, boys. Yeah. You know, Let's actually get real about what we're going to do. And that's the thing that gets me about the everything. It's just this state of flux what? the club seems to be in. Somebody's got to get a grip of it and go, this is the plan. Right. Let's get real. Well, honestly, Simeone, I've got to, before we move it, yeah. what are they smoking? <laughs> Seriously, Simeone is not going to go to Everton. They can get Sean Dyche. He will go there. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. What are they waiting for? It, I think it's, it's absolute madness what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Listeners' questions, viewers' questions. Um, one from um, coach I know, Tony Me. In the light of that Alan Shearer film on dementia, mm-hmm. Should heading be banned, and if so, from what age and other other adjustments that we could make? Well, I don't think it'd be from what age. It would be under an age, you say. So I think, and having seen the Alan Shearer thing and having investigated in the media this sort of thing for now 12 years, the case studies I've seen and, you know, beyond last night's programme, you're looking at the Nat Lofthouses, the John Charles, you know, people that I met after I didn't see them play, but I met them, spoke to the families. I think there is a dereliction of duty within football that there are so many cases that both the FA and PFA knew and the funding was promised in 2005-06 to do this, to actually still be going around about, well, nobody's got the categoric proof of this. I find that really disturbing. So for me, Mike, yes, we should look at doing boys and girls junior football without heading, and then we've got to kick on with this fact of what is the real evidence that damage has been done. Because clearly, if it is known, the issue with FIFA and our own FA can be one of negligence that the rules weren't changed years ago. Well, I know know, I've spoken to uh, Dawn Astle, Jeff Astle's uh, daughter, and basically they've they've been waiting for 12 years or or more now for some sort of action which was promised. To the specifics, Adrian, yeah. you know, I talk to players of sort of 40, 45, and they're now wondering, you know, am I going to get this? Yeah, yeah. You played. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't. Didn't hit it much, didn't did hit it very much. <laughs> I'm probably on safe ground. Um, no, look, it is worrying and it's gone on too. I echo exactly what David was saying. It's, it's high time we had a definitive answer. And if, if it is proven that, that heading does, it can be damaging, proven, um, then we need to do something about it. We've got to do something proactive, though. Yeah. You know, you look I, at the States, I, I think it's under 12. I wouldn't be now. against that at all. And do you know what? For, for, for the, in junior football as well, under 12, smaller pitches, there's very little heading, to be perfectly honest. Making it uh, under head height would be, would be absolutely fine. It wouldn't impact the game. or It actually probably helped the education of the players and encouraged them to keep the ball on the floor. We see a lot of matches now on 3G, 4G pitches. So, um, so no, I, I would not have a problem with that. Obviously, football as a sport, I think I would hate to see heading go out of the sport. Um, but in those formative years where, where bodies are developing, then yeah, let's just take the risk out. You know, Mike, there's some of the medical things going on. And I know of a family where the, the father, who's now in his late 80s, was a player. And his son, who's now in his early 60s, late 50s, was a professional player. The work that's being done by brain surgeons around this country, we must now be close to getting a breakthrough on this. But I just fear 
the dangers of taking risks, particularly with kids, you've got to address that and just go, let's let's yeah. call it off. There's a lot of people, you know, I still don't think there's, I don't think there's thousands of cases. I don't. And, you know, a lot, you know, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people have dementia that have never headed a ball. Mm. So I think we're probably going to need to get in perspective, but... But look, if there is evidence, then let's just take it out of the kids' game. Okay. No Talking of evidence mm. and the FA, Catherine Gale is a Millwall fan who's quite miffed at the treatment, understandably, I think, of Jed uh, Wallace. Yeah. She asks, who sits on the FA red card appeals panel yeah. and why? <laughs> well, to my knowledge, it is a former player, a former referee and a former manager or coach. Three people. It changes on a game-by-game -game basis. They've obviously got a pool of people that they call upon. And I'm led to believe that they all watch the incident separately and report, write a report on it. And if there's unanimous agreement, then that's the, that's the rule. And if, there, if there's not unanimous agreement, then the original uh, referee's decision stands. I've got one massive objection to this, and that is the facelessness of the panel. Why do they have to be anonymous? Why can't we, why can't we after the event know who who made those decisions i don't I, I see no reason there's no surely the fa wouldn't choose people that had a had an interest so um i would like to see uh transparency and i'd also know, like to know what they've been on some of these fa panelists because the bailey wright incident for bristol city when he got shoved over how he got a two-match ban for being shoved over mm. just beggars belief it was crazy um, and Bristol City were very right to be angry, as were Millwall with the Jed Wallace incident. That was a clear, that was a clear mistake. And for the for the powers that be to 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 not overrule it, I, I just I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah. David, uh, we'll go back to the Manchester scenario. Mm. Uh, David Joe has said, has Manchester City's football scared Jose into becoming less expansive, and wiped the short-lived smile that had returned to the happy one's face? Sounds like that's a question posed by a City fan, I think. Um, <laughs> Jose smiles when his team win. I've got to say, I, I don't think Jose Mourinho is motivated by exciting, thrilling, uh, attacking football if it doesn't justify the fact the result is in his team's favour. So the purists who are now attached themselves to Man City and loving it, and quite rightly mm. so, and it is, it's fantastic to see, and they are the best team to watch in the Premier League. I just don't think that affects Jose. I think that's the, the, the there is a, a thorough, what's his word, the hunger to win is such in Jose Mourinho that he knows the way he can get his team to win, and that's in him. Mm. And and he, he's not, but the same happened as you, we know at Real Madrid with Barcelona with yeah. Pep. Mm. You know, he, he, he is not troubled by that at all. Yeah. We'll finish, Aid, on England and international football. Yeah. Um, Mark Robson uh, makes the observation Pickford's distribution was particularly impressive and it sped up England's build up play. Mm. All the England goalkeepers are outstanding shot stoppers. Yes. But does that make the difference when choosing? the goalkeeper for the World Cup. Oh, yeah, well, you need someone with a really strong mentality, don't you? What I like about Pickford is that he's fearless. He, he made an England, his England debut and he looked like he was loving it. Mm -hmm. Every single second of it, he was really reveling in it. And that's a, that's a massive positive. It, uh, that, that will put him up the pecking order. Personally, I would have Joe Hart bumped down to number three at least. I think it's a straight shootout between Pickford and Butland. In but Butland keeps getting injured, doesn't he? Yeah, in my opinion, when, when everyone's fit, I think, I think Butland is the better all-round keeper. 
I think he's got slightly more presence and I think his temperament is is really good, really strong. Um, but Pickford maybe is the more eye-catching shot stopper. So I can see the case for Pickford. But there's a really good observation on that about the distribution. I think that is that is Very a key good. that is a key. Pe people point. have worked with him while he's been on loan and he's you know he's, he's been around lower divisions yeah. and not only whatever, but he's done it. They all rave about that boy's attitude, willingness to work, take things on board, and he is a tough cookie in that he has been yeah. bounced around a bit there. Yeah. But you're spot on, Mike, that his distribution and the speed with which he can do it, that is one area where whatever people say about Joe Hart's experience, Joe's not in the same league as that boy. Mm. Very briefly, both of you, how do you see where are England at the moment? I think England are getting into a good place and I'll back Gareth Southgate on one key thing, which I believe he's going to go with. I think we've seen in the past, and forgive me mentioning the golden generation, but we've seen some star names in England teams rock up at major tournaments and fail to deliver. I think Gareth Southgate's been smart enough to see in the junior teams and some of those he's worked with with the 21s where they've been away at tournaments, they've actually got the heads around being away for two, three, four weeks and hopefully it'll go longer you know, with the, with the World Cup next year. And I think he's seen, I need tournament players, some of whom may not be the superstars or the very best in our eyes in the, in the Premier League. But I think he's got a mind... I'm going to take a party here who will stick together as a unit and go and give it a really good tournament. And I, do you know what? The previous way didn't work with the golden generation. Mm. So I want us to back Gareth with his, his vision yeah. of tournament play. And it's, it's good when you've got a young player like Loftus-Cheek coming in. He introduced himself with a double nutmeg. Yeah, I know, yeah. He was really good, wasn't he? Look, let's not get too carried about way with Loftus-Cheek. I think it's easy to have one good game. He can, can he string the performances together? Let's see. But I, I really like what I've seen of him. Um, some great young players. Harry Winks, I think, is, is tailor-made. For international football, we've got Kane, we've got Ali, uh, wing-backs that are flyers. I'll tell you what, Gareth Southgate, um, I was disappointed in the qualifiers. He didn't go with three at the back because I felt that that was the most suitable system for England. He's now looks as if he's going to go with that. That's smart. I, I question whether we're good enough at centre-half and in central midfield, but I'm liking what I'm seeing from England. I'm more optimistic now than I was a few months back. A scout I know has put money on England winning the World Cup in 2022. Not sure about that, but at least we're making a start. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.